Welcome to the Centre for Research Excellence in Cerebral Palsy podcast, where we give you access to top academics and clinicians from around the world working in the area of cerebral palsy. We record live at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne. In this episode, Dr. Virginia Wright talks about igniting fitness possibilities for children. Virginia is a physiotherapist working as a research scientist, and I'll let her introduce where her work is taking place. Holland Bloorview Kids Rehab is um, Canada's largest pediatric rehab centre, um, so nothing like the size of this beautiful place, but for a pediatric rehab centre, um, we are actually large with about 100 inpatient beds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of outpatients every um, week, and we cover a tertiary care catchment, so basically our province of Ontario, and actually see kids from out of province and out of country as well, and we see kids with all kinds of physical disabilities and have recently expanded out to see kids um, who have autism as well. Virginia gets straight to the issue she works to address. Okay, so the issue, I don't have to preach very much on this. If we think of Canada, 91% of Canadian kids are not active and more and more are choosing screen time, sedentary behaviours, and really there are just fewer opportunities. You probably have the same issue here with kids getting out to learn motor skills and social skills that they need to get into the game. And then obviously kids with chronic health conditions of um, a wide variety can have even more barriers. And we know a lot about those barriers and I know there's tremendous work going on here in Australia to further identify and work with those barriers. So the lack of programming, lack of staff training, a lot of issue of family fear of the unknown. And I think something that doesn't come up as often as it should, that physical activity for kids with a chronic condition is often very physical or occupational therapy focused. And that's great but it really probably does give little time or energy for other physical activity pursuits. And I think we need to look very carefully at that balance, especially as kids get older. I think we need to also think about the importance of learning the motor and social skills that are needed just to enjoy the game. So we all know you have to learn actual skills for the game. At the Oz Academy, there was a great workshop on running and learning to run and really stressing it. These things aren't just something that we naturally know how to do to the extent that we'll enjoy doing them. And if you think about how you learned any sport that you've taken up, you've probably gone through lessons, group play, coaching, extra practice, but at the beginning there was probably just plain exposure to it. With kids on your street, with your sister, with your brother, with your cousins, there was some way that you tried it out and maybe got a sense that this was something you wanted to pursue. And this exposure to many games is really the way that all of us find what's a good match for us. The first step to addressing the issue? get in the game. And in the beginning, and I can't stress this enough, it's really important to be motivated by the desire just to have fun, to be with friends, develop strong self-esteem, get exposure, as I said, to as many sports and skills as you can. And also, and this is the physical literacy piece, get a really strong sense of what's fair and what should be introduced into simple rules, tactics, decision-making, basically the ethics of sport. So when you go out there as a child or an adult and you play the game, you're actually going to fit into the game, right? People are going to want to play with you. And that stuff needs to be learned. Virginia talks about great examples of inclusive programming in both Canada and Australia, which promote this idea of physical literacy. Okay, so the need for inclusive programming. So inclusion, just a basic definition, encourages those of all abilities to engage in meaningful participation together in an environment which fosters a sense of belongingness and autonomy. So really stress both of these because this really underscores the program that we've been building. 
And we see that we have to have suitable physical environments. Um, as the Australian website really nicely shows, you need to have a, a staff who are well trained to work with people um, at different levels. And there are great coaching guides you can get on your website too, and lots of social opportunities. So we still don't know much about the impact of inclusive physical activity programs. We did a literature re review when we started into all of this, um, into programs that included kids with physical disabilities. And in fact, we brought it up to date recently, and there were just 15 studies using our inclusion, cri inclusion, inclusion criteria um, from 86 to 2014 that met our search criteria. And only five of these, um, there have only been five of these since 2010, which seems bizarre, given that this is a principle that we're talking more and more about. Um, and when we look at what's been evaluated in these programs, other than some things like balance and other things with dance programs, it's been mostly social integration outcomes evaluated through qualitative work, asking people with disabilities what how they felt being in the group and how others perceived them and asking people without disabilities how the people with disabilities were perceived and how they felt working together. All super important stuff, but I would say we still have a long, long way to go to really know the impact of these programs. Pediatric healthcare, the tendency is for us to have adapted phys physical activity programs, often with one-to-one -one support of a parent or a volunteer or an other, um, to be designed solely for children within a particular health chronic health condition or type of conditions, or for community programs to be adapted on the spot to include kids with differing abilities. But I think there's a different concept, um, and the one that we're trying to work is building a program or having one that is built in with inclusion as the intent from the build. So this is what Virginia and her colleagues are working on, an inclusive physical activity program for children and youth of all abilities. And the program has evolved to outgrow its own title. While we have igniting fitness possibilities, the word fitness in there, it's evolved over time and I would say fitness is certainly a, a key outcome in the long run. It is not an initial goal of ours when we bring kids in. We're much more on this physical literacy concept and that's kind of evolved. And I think we sort of thought, thought we coined the word social literacy but it's out there too. But that sense of really people working with each other and learning those skills. Um, so our current IFP program is actually targeted for kids grades 1 to 12 for youth with and without a chronic health condition. So that's one of the differences. We aim to bring children in who are typically developing, who just haven't been successful or confident in getting into the game. So our plan is to give them kind of a safe launch pad to get into the game and bring them in with all of these other kids who want a safe launch pad. And the goals for kids who are involved in the program? To be more physically active, we hope at the end of the program to show increased competence in physical skills and attitudes towards sport and fitness. Very important to grow social networks and friendships. And to be able to set their own goals for fitness and physical activity once the program is over. So that's the sustainability of it for them is to bridge out into the big world. And hopefully to understand some benefits of physical activity, but we're not doing education on that. That's just kind of biosmosis. I stress again, this is physical literacy, not fitness as the primary goal. So a little bit different maybe. 
And for staff and parents, we have outcomes too, because we want to get this program out into kids' communities, which means that Kelly and I can't be running this forever. In fact, we don't want to be running it at all. We want to basically empower community centres and staff to be the people out there to do it so that we won't be doing anything in five or ten years' time. We'll be just, it'll just be happening. So we want to make sure that through the program and the training that we're providing now with our materials that we get enhanced knowledge, skills and resources for staff in the community support inclusive programs, that parents will have enhanced knowledge and skills and motivation to support their kids in something that will be fun. And that overall, through the way we're building it and continue to build, we'll have an evidence-based model along with this training program and package. That we're kind of keeping it local now in Toronto, but spreading and spreading as we can go and really hope to get international with it. So the first part of IFP, as I said, over the last three years, we've been creating, testing, refining, recreating, testing, refining a manual-based 16-session curriculum that's inspired by the fundamentals guide that I've showed you. Um, we've done it so it's grade-based, not age-based. So the curriculum is specific to grade levels, 1 to 3, 4 to 6, 6 to 8, 8 to 12. Um, but there were all the same core components through each of the ages. It's just, it's just sort of grade sensitive in terms of the activities. And the quick start sessions, that 16-weeker is divided into four theme blocks, really looking at enhancing physical literacy. So they learn territory game skills. They learn target game skills. And you can imagine what these all can be put towards in terms of sports that we actually recognize as sports. Froth is frisbee and golf, you know that. <laughs> Creative team, it's fun actually, I like that one. Movement games, um, and you know this is all important, and we do it with music because of so much evidence around neuroplasticity and learning with music that it makes sense to really build the music in. And net wall games, um, including great games like team pickleball and other things. So each theme block ends then with a session where kids apply the new knowledge and experience and they invent and teach and play games with each other. Um, that's the main thing I can claim credit to here is that was kind of my creative bent saying, let's just get them playing. So at, once they've learned a whole pile of skills, um, it's up to them to come up with games. And some of their great games we've actually included when we do our re redesign of our curriculum, we put the kids' games in and get some of our games out. Um, because these are tried and tested by kids, so they don't get better than that. So every quick start session, each of the 16 consists of a warm-up with fitness activities, with practice of fundamental movement skills, with very important cooperative non-competitive games. And again, when you look at the quotes from the kids, you're going to see the sense of the cooperative games. It comes through loud and clear, thankfully. And then cool down and a bit of reflection as well as some program eval. They rate every session for us to tell us what they think about it. And the session plans all have ways in the curriculum manual that we've written that show them how it can be adapted for kids with different abilities. So if you've got kids with visual impairment, with hearing um, impairment, um, lots and lots of different ways to adapt the game for the instructors to draw on as a quick resource. Um, and the instructions that if you can't involve everybody in the group in the game in a meaningful way, you need to not do that game in the session and pick one of the alternate ones. Very, very important. You can learn more about the session plans and the program by going to their website at hollandblowview.ca.
Clinicians will be interested to know who has been involved in the program so far. So who's been involved? Well, we have on average eight kids per program. Um, and very happily, um, we've actually had a really nice balance, just as we really hoped we would have, of kids with and without disabilities, um, with different types of, of, of conditions. Um, and we've basically said we do some screening, actually parents kind of self-screen to see if their kids meet the criteria that are our inclusion criteria right now. We want to broaden these criteria, but we needed to start somewhere and build from there. So this was a reasonable starting point for us. So not fully inclusive, you will note. Um, we wanted to get a balance of kids with and without disabilities, but we decided to let it happen the way it wanted to happen. In our current pilot, again, you'll see there's again, amazingly, kind of an even balance of kids with and without disabilities. And in this particular area, we've been getting um, more and more interest from kids with autism, which I think we'll continue to see. Virginia's team is constantly evaluating the program, and they keep seeing improvements in motivation, engagement, and levels of activity. A lot of the feedback comes from the kids themselves. So what do kids tell us? This, here's the really important stuff, isn't it? So with our formal qualitative interviews, things like you weren't judged for anything you did, like if you were really bad at something, you could still play. It's good. At school, if you're really bad at something, you're like, oh my God, I can't play it. But here you're the same as everyone else. This is our goal, right? They're really feeling that they're in there and they're doing what everyone else is doing. I learned fitness isn't that bad. Where did they get that concept from? When my coach talked about things, it kind of cleared things up and it made fitness more fun. It's great. I felt like I wasn't moving enough before the program. I just sat on my bed and played with my phone. Well, we know that. It helped knowing that I could be somewhere, being active, and adapt things the way I need them. So happily, I could adapt them, not they adapted them for me. I could do it. Here's a typically developing boy, a key target audience for us. During the first sessions, he became interested in basketball, um, regular, and wheelchairs. So we have the kids try out equipment too. Again, give everyone a chance to get in the game. And he just kind of took to shooting the basketball, right? And the coach, doing her job well, noticed this. And after a check-in with her, um, with the mom, the mom said, we've already seen a difference. It was about week four. He casually told us he'd be playing basketball at lunch this week when we asked for details. He said it was tryouts for junior boys at school. Like, that's scary, huh? He's never tried out for anything before. Today he found out he made the first cut. We're trying not to get too excited, so there's the reservation, but we're thrilled. Yes, help him set more amazing goals. So what happened? Well, we all want to see he made the team. Well, he made it to the final tryouts. He didn't make the team. But you know what? That's okay because he's still working with his coach. He's still with Michelle. So for us, this was this feeling of, okay, the coach model is really what we need because without that coach, if he'd been like me and not getting in through the tryouts, that would have been it for basketball for life, right? So he needed that. Here's a young man, the oldest we've had so far, um, has arthrogryposis, really has difficulties moving, but he's fully ambulatory, just felt left behind and kind of at age 18 wanted to get into sport. Um, he shows um, has showed amazing progress and I kind of like this. Well, you know, at the beginning I thought, no, I can't do push-ups or squats because I've never done them before, I ever thought I could. But last week it's like, I can do this, so I can do that, no problem. So, you know, we're hearing the stuff we, we hope we'll hear from the kids if they're feeling more confident. A key message from Virginia was around inclusion. Clearly motivation is a major factor too, but once a child is motivated to get into the game, 
Do they stay with it? Does it fit with their goals? Are there other or better options? Think about the pillars of inclusion. What was one of the things that talked about? Choice, options, community options. I think so important. And as those in the field know, inclusion is on a spectrum. And they say the following factors will influence the section or sections of the spectrum an individual chooses to participate in. Their functional ability, the sport in which they're participating, the opportunities, that's really important, within their environment, and their personal preferences. It's not a hierarchy of inclusion. It's been drawn as the circle, right? They're just different choices. And I don't think we need to be apologetic for those. We need to recognize it. The question to ask is which of these inclusion possibilities might be best for a child at a particular time point. I think the key thing, though, that I've become aware of is this consumer awareness of the definition of inclusion and consumers being us as clinicians, us as parents, um, us as program developers, us in the universities, um, uh, community centers, being aware of include definition of inclusion, format, staff, training you need for adapted programs, the goals of the program, and always in family-centered care goes back to the fit with the parents and the child's goals. So I'll give you an activity pathway that I think hopefully helps to illustrate this. Seven-year-old child with cerebral palsy who walks with a walker for short distances, uses a wheelchair for longer ones. Could go from a learn-to-bike group, right, for kids with CP or a variety of disabilities in the summer. Get this child into the game, into something they can do in a way that's going to be just the easiest, best way to teach, right, and a fun experience, number one. Maybe then joins a pediatric rehab center-based Saturday morning fitness and fun group like we have at Holland Blue Review that goes through the fall and winter. Kids of all ages, different abilities, meet lots of parents. That mom would be happy. She'd be on the sidelines meeting all kinds of moms and dads. A more broadly inclusive physical literacy program like Igniting Fitness Possibilities. The child's got the courage now. Mom and dad have the courage to move the child into something that's much broader. So as broad as we can make it, right? There's still the question. Maybe go to an adapted soccer program the next summer because they've done give it a try. They've discovered that soccer is their game. And then maybe say, you know what? We need to learn to swim, right? So we'll do some swimming, a program where there can be minor adaptations, but stay in the adapted soccer because that's become their sport. So Almost every one of these opportunities on that spectrum has actually been involved now with this child in the course of two years. It's, it's a brilliant spectrum. So my final moment here, the final IFP moment, is from a, a young guy named um, Timothy, um, not really his name, of course, uh, with developmental coordination disorder. He was okay at sports, you know, like he liked karate, he liked physical activity, but he just couldn't find a positive, inclusive environment and was really experiencing a lot of bullying in his school phys ed classes. Very, very quiet at the start of this program, really, really just didn't take any lead, sat out on the sidelines, but came, kept coming back into the game. That was fine. Over the first week, his coach noticed he was starting to come out of his shell. He was actually starting to organize games. He was starting to give instructions. He actually did the demo of the karate se session, which was in the movement group. And I mean, this is great coming from him. Direct quote, I'm not the biggest sports fan, but there's something about IFP that made me like it. I learned how to have fun playing sports here. How great is that? I think there were more supportive people here and we have more choice than you do in like gym class. Everyone mentions gym class. At school, you like have to do it and here you don't want to stop playing for some reason. So they don't really get this, but they like it. There's a really good vibe. The people are really nice and not everyone is super athletic. So we're all on kind of the same level. There it is again. Every quote we get, the kids will say they're on the same level. And look at our videos. They're not, but they are. They actually are on the same level. 
And, and Timothy's dad, I mean, one of these truly, I can't pass this up quote, <laughs> you've truly managed to ignite Timothy's interest in physical activity like never before, which is a miracle. Thank you for listening to the Centre of Research Excellence in Cerebral Palsy podcast. If you'd like to keep listening to our podcasts, subscribe to this series in your favourite podcast app or keep an eye on our website, crecp.org.au. This was a Trixie Studio production. Find out more at trixie.xyz.